Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. On today's episode, Jack Allison and I talk to two excellent guests. First, we talk to Ken Klippenstein, the DC correspondent for The Nation magazine. He's written for places like The Nation, The Daily Beast, Salon, The Intercept, and more. He's a former correspondent on The Young Turks and reports on U.S. federal and national security matters as well as corporate controversies. And we talk to psychoanalyst, activist, and educator Stephen Reisner, the host of the Madness podcast where psychology and capitalism collide. He's the founding member of the Coalition for an Ethical Psychology, advisor on psychology and ethics for Physicians for Human Rights, and past president of Psychologists for Social Responsibility. He was a leader in the successful movement to prohibit psychologists from their central role in abusive CIA and military interrogation and detention processes. As a result of these efforts, psychologists were removed from detention operations at Guantanamo Bay in January 2016. Please rate and review The Katie Helper Show. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. The Patreon-only episode, which drops shortly, is a longer chat with Dr. Steven Reisner, as well as a chat with Jack, where we talk about things like Harvey Weinstein, Amazon, Twitch versus YouTube, and the elections. Hello, and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. If it is a Sunday night... Um, you will be seeing and hearing us uh, Sunday nights at 7 p.m., Wednesday nights at 9 p.m., and on Sunday nights, I'm with my um, Jesus-like co-pilot, Jack Allison. He, is an, he right. has the beard and the long hair. Wow, yeah, Christ-like in so many ways. In so Persecu- many ways. Per- persecuted like Christ in many yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank so you for many. saying that. Thank you for saying that. Someone had to uh, say it. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Always glad to be here every Sunday. Yeah. And I just want to give a shout out and happy wish happy birthday to Nando Villa, my Wednesday night co-host. Oh, who, happy birthday! Um, yeah, and also Vanessa B. Mm-hmm. and uh, Cardi B. Whoa, Cardi B. I, I saw yeah. that. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I uh, and Jack, so everyone knows, is the host of Jack AM, the Twitch show, and of mm-hmm. course of the Struggle Session podcast. And we're actually doing another live show. For pretty soon, pretty, pretty soon, soon, right? Yeah, when is that? Yeah. We Jesus, it. maybe the twenty third. Like, like yeah, the twenty. Yeah, we can look it up. We can look it up. <laughs> I have to look it up. Let me try to find yeah. it here. Um, it is the twenty third, and we're gonna do it at Littlefield. It's an online, another online show. It's gonna be great. Yeah, and make sure you guys um, all subscribe to Seabin's podcast. It's called the Madness Podcast. And then we're going to have, before Stephen, though, we're going to talk to Ken Klippenstein, very good journalist who has done excellent investigative reporting on yeah. lots of different things. And he's always getting scoops. and The and FOIA, tips. the FOIA he's king. The FOIA master, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the leak king, so the many, leak the king. king of so many things. He's leaking, he's FOIA <laughs> king. Um, yeah. And he's not... Oh no, he's not leaking. He's receiving like leaks. Well, but yeah, he's the leak king, but he's receiving. Right, right, right. He's yes. the one receiving them. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Right. I was just trying to make. I, I yeah. was self. If anything, he's the little boy with a thumb in the dam. You know, from the from the Dutch from the Dutch. Uh, you know, folktale or whatever. You know. Right. He's right there at the edge of leaks. Right. You know, right. like the but Dutch boy. Does the Dutch boy block the leaks? I believe in I, I don't remember the story, but I but think that the Dutch boy has his thumb in with the leaks. So, yes, he's blocking the leaks, but it's also the prerogative of the Dutch boy to make the leaks come out. You know what I mean? If he pulled. So I think that Ken Klippenstein is quite like the Dutch boy. Got it. I, I mean, I, I think he you know what? We've got to find out if he's Dutch. Yeah, we well, maybe Dutch we'll find him. out. We'll find out later today. Maybe I always thought he was Jewish. Mm. But the thing about 
German last names is they can go either way. They're mm-hmm. bi-curious. Yeah. I always thought he was a Krasnstein. Oh, you well, know. if he was a Krasenstein, I would have him on every every week. I would just do a show with him called Krasen Around. As you can tell, this is a very pre-prepared monologue. Um, yeah. I'm not Quillen anymore. Someone asked me if I was um, Dave Quill. Someone very nicely in the chat said uh, I was a mess the other day on Useful Idiots. Thank you. I love hearing that positive reinforcement. Yeah. That pat on the back for powering through, though I was sick. What's, <laughs> what's interesting is that I took a Dave Quill during the taping. And you, I think you hear me improving over time. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, a day uh, is good stuff. I mean, that's it's good, good stuff. stuff. And I didn't yeah. take it early enough. I kind of didn't think of it, um, which uh, don't tell Matt Taibbi. Well, he knows because I took it live in real time. But right. um, that was my second dose. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> so you hear me. I'm at the beginning, I really am talking like this. Really. <laughs> and then over time, I, I kind of get decongested. So uh, quite a week this week. Uh, yeah, well, Trump didn't die. So that was like the first, the big headline this week was that Trump is still with us. He's still with uh, us. Chris Christie's still with us for now. Who knows? You know, I mean, Katie, by the end of this live stream. We, we had Matt Crispin on Struggle Session uh, for a commentary of uh, They Live. Uh, and he said on that episode, I don't think it's out yet. It's coming out very soon. But he said, like, after Chris Christie and Donald Trump died, like, Maybe I think it is fake. Maybe, and I'm, I think I agree with that. I'm like, if Chris Christie survives this, maybe I think coronavirus is fake after all this. OK, I got it. Because he's still in very bad shape. I'm like, if Chris Christie and Donald Trump and everybody in the right. Trump White House get it and then they all just bounce back. I'm right. like, maybe they're right. It is a fucking conspiracy. Okay, oh, right. It's well, then the question becomes whose conspiracy? Is it that <laughs> is it that Trump made up that they had COVID and they no, didn't? No, I think they had that- it. COVID I, just isn't real. I'm just joking. I think that I they know, actually I know, got, I, just, I think that truly what it is, is they all just got the best treatment. You know what right, I mean? Exactly, like, right. that's really what it is, is they all got good shit. And even Chris Christie, he didn't even get the really good shit, the Regeneron, you know, but he still got remdesivir, which is like impossible for normal people to get. Wow. Well, uh, and of course, the great irony about this is that what is this? This experimental treatment comes from fetal tissue. (laughs) Yes, I believe that that uh, Donald Trump got some stem cell research research, uh, stuff like uh, related. I don't know. Fetal related, you know, antibody, polyclonal, whatever. I got to get my dad back on. But I swear, Katie, like it, it, it is really feeling like like Trump really fucked up by getting COVID like because this guy was saying it was fake. And now I swear he's like still saying it's fake, but that doesn't work for seniors anymore. I think that they all, I think they, buying it for a while until he got it and then all of a sudden I think everyone's like like the polling is insane and I know it got insane with Hillary before by the end but like it just is feeling like this guy is going to get his ass kicked and it's actually like because he got COVID in the most like and I was even worried there might be like an outpouring of like sympathy or something like that but it actually is feeling like no everybody just thinks he's a dumbass for it and scared all the seniors who thought he was like strong before you know like yeah. this last this like last couple weeks like a 25 point shift toward biden like if that's real i'm like what the fuck happened with the yeah. boomers it just I is know. i don't have any idea yeah it was pretty uh bad uh and did you hear though that he's extremely young <laughs> yeah he's like i'm extremely young i'm in very very good shape i mean listen 
that Nancy Pelosi brought that up when she was trying to form the, her new committee to like, you know, invoke the 25th Amendment or whatever, which, by right. the way, you know, this new committee to invoke the 25th Amendment, um, it feels a little late to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and, and second of all, it doesn't seem like it's the smartest thing to create right before we have Joe Biden go into office. Do yeah. you really want to create the committee for like exercising the 25th Amendment right before Joe, like and every time like Joe Biden and Joe Biden, I don't think is fully with it. Like, right. you know, I think he is a little like not all there. <laughs> like, I do can't we really remember want- who it was who said to me something like. Uh, who, who someone told me that someone had said they're doing it really for um, for Biden's sake, like they're doing it so that they can get Biden out. I well, joke, I don't know why. But, Pelosi, yeah, I mean, but that is like exactly what it'll be used for. At the right. end. It's like, yeah. you know, with one month of the election, Trump even can't fucking like I mean, who the fuck knows what this guy can even do. I am starting to think he's like in such bad shape right now that he might not even have like the Senate on his side. Like, you know, he was trying to push through like he really wanted fucking uh, uh, COVID relief this week. And he like really wanted that deal done. And I don't think McConnell's going to give it to him. And the reason for that is I think because Trump is a loser. Like, I think they all think Trump's going to lose. And they're like, we will fuck you. Like, we don't have any, right. like, for a while. Like, you were very useful while you were on, while right. you were, like, you know, like, Mr. Strong Guy getting everybody elected and everything like that. It's just his feeling like he's like, I really want the stimulus so that I can get reelected. And it feels like the Republicans might be like, then then starve. You know what I mean? I just right. have no idea. I well, feel like they're so thing. committed to not giving anyone any assistance that they're going to be like, fuck Trump. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's it. I, yeah. I, oh, I, I think it's almost maybe the opposite other way around though. It's also like they're so opposed to giving anyone assistance that yeah. they don't now, now that if they think Trump's a loser, it's not yeah. like but for Trump, they were going to be happy about the assistance. Right. It's just now that there's no like, they might, no have, they might have been willing, like if Trump had right. tried to do this months ago. Also, he's just such a fucking dumbass because like yeah. he could have got this done. He could have got everybody another check right before the election if he wasn't like a procrastinator, right. idiot, right. dumbass. You know what right. I mean? Like yeah. two months ago when like he was still like still had a handle on the party and everything like that. McConnell would have just like done it for him. But right. now, yeah. like in his last month when he just got cooties and he looks weak, I'm like, yeah, they're not going to. Uh, let you like right. do yeah. do stimulus it's just yeah. not gonna happen and also i mean i mentioned this on useful idiots but everyone should listen to um jimmy Dore's video would listen to or watch jimmy Dore's video on kara swisher interviewing nancy pelosi because it is at, did i bring this up on this show before um i don't think so not, it is stunning it's just stunning because nancy uh kara swisher is not an enemy of Nancy Pelosi. She starts out the episode, the interview, talking about how powerful she is and how her her powers are awesome. And um, she asks Pelosi, like, what are you going to do? What tools are you going to use with this madman? And she avoids the question. Mm -hmm. And Swisher keeps trying to corner her. And and she's very good at it, I have to admit. She does it in a way that doesn't come off at all hostile. Um, And she has nothing to say. And then... Pelosi, she even asked Pelosi about who the the audience is for her theatrics. Again, not in a way that Pelosi realizes it's like an own. Mm -hmm. And then she also, uh, at one point, Pelosi says he wants to give out checks with his name on them. And Swisher's like, with all due respect, who cares? Yeah, who gives a shit? 
like maybe we should save people's lives. Yeah. I know that you want to ride this as, you know, I know I get that you want to win, but um I mean anyway. Also, we just I should mention it's it's worth mentioning that it may also not even get through the house and Pelosi would block uh uh was was willing to block uh even the negotiations they were doing this week because it didn't get it didn't uh, bring back the salt deduction uh which is like really, you know, at the core of what they want from this covid relief like these, you know, the the corporate democrats like really want the salt deduction back which is this what the fuck state and local tax. It's the state and local tax deduction it's something that only affects very high income people and mostly in blue states basically it's like you get to take a deduction on your taxes based on you know there's a cap on it so that you you know right now it can go to as as much as high as you want uh uh, before there was a cap on it trump removed that cap and so that is actually something that is generating more taxes from higher income people in blue states but it disproportionately affects blue income states people so the corporate Democrats are most concerned with getting that tax deduction right. back. Like they're well, like, we won't do COVID relief unless you give that to us. Let's bring in only because I think he's even not that you aren't super knowledgeable about this. No, he is much more knowledgeable I mean, about yeah. everything. Yeah. And without <laughs> any further ado, um, welcome Tom Watson. I was just tr- trying to think of someone. <laughs> right now. Without any further ado, we're going to welcome onto the show um, uh, journalist. Ken Klippenstein. Welcome, Ken. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. Thank you. You Thanks too. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Um, thank you so much of join, uh, for joining. Um, by the way, I'm going to be reading the um, questions after we talk to Ken, and you'll have a chance to, to ask him some questions. And then also you're going to get to hear uh, our conversation with Ken and Stephen. They're going to overlap for a little bit, and then Ken has to go do more work, and then we're going to get some alone time with Stephen. Okay. Just giving that's you a the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. So salt. Uh, first, Jack, I thought you were saying um, uh, that there was, you know, they were encouraging people to lower their salt or something. And I'm like, that's good. <laughs> you should do that. Yeah, um, like Michelle Obama's uh, plan. Yeah. It's yes. about the Michelle Obama thing. Yeah. Do you remember, by the way, when like Rush Limbaugh was like, she's getting people murdered by having them walk instead of drive <laughs> young kids. Um, so Ken Clippenstein is a journalist at The Nation and he has a recent piece. Uh, well, no, what am I saying? He has tons of recent pieces. Um, one is about how ICE is a, a propaganda machine for Trump. Um, you also have written extensively about um, right wing terror and terrorism and violence and extremism. And what's interesting is I'm going to I interviewed you like in May, I think, and we were having this discussion and I'm going to release this this week when I release this as a podcast and I'll also release clips of this show and I'll release clips of that one. But we're sitting there and we're like, why is no one talking about this? This was when um, there had been uh, the the shooting and killing of a law enforcement officer by Stephen Carrillo. And, um, and we were like, what is going on? We feel like we're going crazy. Why are people ignoring this? And of course, you know, now people are talking about it more. But um, tell us about your um, your recent pieces. Um, I mean, what you mentioned, I think, is, is what's salient now. Is yeah. the uh, far right terror threat? How do we respond to that in a way that's rational, but also not, you know, overreach because, um, you know, the debate now, every time I have a story about these groups doing these things, um, you know, very common response is they're not militias. Don't call them militias. They're terrorists. And I don't think that people understand quite what that means. 
to um, apply a terror designation, a formal terror designation to a certain group, whatever you think of that group, that gives the state a whole lot of power in terms of um, what they're able to do uh, with respect to surveillance, uh, with respect to, you know, just stripping away civil liberties. And um, that debate has to happen. Everyone is just sort of throwing this term around without, uh, as far as I can tell, understanding what what that entails. Yeah. So, um, right. That's always an interesting conversation that civil libertarians um, and liberal, I mean, yeah, it cuts a bunch of different ways. I'm actually just looking. Wasn't your article called Terror, though? Or am I making that up? Which piece was it? I can't remember. Uh, Let me see. Is that Shuja Hader's fault? I'm blaming Shuja. Shuja, friend of the show and uh, Nation editor. Uh, well, it gets, it, I mean, this stuff is all complicated. So when you say terror, with the dictionary definition, it just means, uh, you know, use of violence in the furtherance of a po- political goal. That unfortunately would describe a lot of the violence that happens. But separate from that sort of like um, informal, des- informal, you know, descriptor, um, it, it also refers to a something that's usually done by the State Department by the intelligence agencies, a terror designation. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff you could reasonably describe as having a political element. Uh, you right. know, the country is very fraught. <laughs> it was fraught before 2020, and it's gotten much right. worse with the, you know, state of unemployment. And I mean, I have to be frank. When people, you know, say, uh, you know, express sort of puzzlement at at at, um, you know, the rage and the anger. It's like, um, obviously, you shouldn't hurt people because you're mad about something, but it's hardly shocking that, like, as the country's disintegrating, uh, Mm -hmm. people start behaving in sort of counterproductive ways, you know? Yeah. So this is, I totally agree. And this is the the article is called this, Trump equivocates on white supremacy, the FBI warns of right-wing terror. So, um, uh, and I I read that article, and you summarized a a document that that someone, did they leak it or blow, or whistleblow? What's the difference? I mean, I'm, I would call it whistleblowing in that case, Good, and in most of the cases that I'm given things. I mean, yeah. uh, sometimes there's like political motives involved. I don't mean partisan, but like uh, whenever people ask me, how do you stop, how, how do you prevent leaks from happening? And I always say the best thing you could do is be nice to your employees. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's no shortage of angry. I mean, it's great for me. It's great business for me, right. but um, you know, when people are mean to their, yeah, when people are mean to their workers, um, you know, they uh, get resentful and things. But I would say that generally, uh, at least in my experience, um, there is some kind of sincere concern behind it. And folks would be surprised how few of my sources share the politics that I do. Just because I, right. you know, have the politics that I do doesn't mean that my sources do. Yeah. But generally, yeah, it's like they feel bad about things. So you mentioned far-right terror. You know, people have thought within, um, I know DHS intelligence within the FBI, that this is a problem that is not getting the resources it needs for years now. It didn't start right. with Trump either. It's just intensified under this administration. Right. Um, but so, yeah, generally I would say, I would call it whistleblowing because people are doing it and putting themselves at great risk right. at a time that, you know, the employment situation and prospects are not great. It can get, you know, if they yeah. get caught doing these things, they're very serious consequences. So yeah, I, I think, it's, I think it's sort of well-meaning um, concern on their part. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's well-meaning. I was just curious about the technical definition, but that's, a, that's another discussion. I'll just give a shout out to John Kiriakou who gets called a leaker by MSNBC and he is not a leaker. He's a whistleblower and he's the only person who has gone to jail, gone to prison for the uh, CIA torture program. Um, which he did not participate in, which is American justice for you. And uh, that's actually something we can talk about with our uh, with Dr. Steven uh, Reisner when we have him on. Um, but so, so just tell us about the the Trump, you know, Trump makes his famous statement about the Proud Boys. Uh, let's talk about that. And also, um, have you been following? I mean, obviously you're following. Do you have any 
um, scoops or leads about the uh, Gretchen Whitmer uh, kidnapping attempt? Um, the I can tell you the attitude of folks in the intelligence community yeah. and you know law enforcement in response to that. They were surprised and sort of grateful. They were like, oh, thank God, something. Because um, I, I can give you an example. Within DHS, their intelligence Department branch, of Homeland Security, in case anyone doesn't, yeah. Right, Department of Homeland Security, their intelligence branch called Intelligence and Analysis, they had their um, Homeland uh, Extremism Division uh, dissolved in 2017, right after Trump came into office. And this was the cause of a lot of consternation because um, the impression is that uh, they weren't doing enough on, on these far-right groups before. Uh, and again, mm. I want to stress, uh, in very many cases, the people I talk to are not by any means left-wing right. individuals. Yeah. So I'm not saying, um, you know, I, I'm very sympathetic to the argument that we should be skeptical of the intelligence services. I think that's all true. Mm. But um, in, in the case of these far-right groups, this sort of um, logistical hurdles and political hurdles within these agencies to go after them and monitor them and, and really respond to them for in the ways that we you know expect law enforcement at least in theory to, to to do that's a lot harder for them to go after these groups than it is to go after a you know foreign group like uh i don't know an iranian aligned group or right. um you know some syrian uh, militant group that kind of thing right and and so not just is it hard to go after domestic groups but what's described to me is it's way harder to go after far right groups in particular because so many of the, so much of the ideology echoes i'm sorry a lot of the stuff the president says so they understand it's a political How minefield. How dare you, Ken? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's another thing that I have sort of complicated views on. Like I, I see people's, you know, point. You don't want to be too hysterical. I don't want to be hysterical in my reporting and, and overstate the risk of these groups, which right. you know at this point in time they're growing and bigger than they've been. I think, um, but at the same time they're still fringe. You know what I mean? I don't think we necessarily right. need to be throwing out all these uh, civil liberties and things in response to it. But it's something that needs more resources, more of a response. So right. I'm kind of a nuanced. Um, uh, view on it. I, I, th I think a lot of the um, discourse around this stuff tends to be very maximalist on, on either right. side about how to respond to these things, you know? Right. So they're like, oh, thank God this plot was exposed and foiled, but also got publicity because now we're going to have hopefully more leverage and getting more resources. That's what they're hoping. And I would say that they're generally pretty um, uh, pessimistic about the prospects for that under this administration. Right. But the attitude is that under the Biden administration, and again, they're quite, um, uh, you know, critical of uh, not just what a Biden administration would look like, but what the Trump administration or what the Obama administration looked like, which they described as also not giving them enough resources commensurate. Yeah, with the threats of this group. So the attitude is at least when Biden comes in, there might be a fighting chance to kind of push Congress to, to allocate more resources to this kind of thing. But that's by no means guaranteed because, uh, you know, Biden may do what Obama did and just kind of punt the issue and not, you know, uh, perhaps open up the domestic extremism unit within DA, within Homeland right. Security, but not do a whole lot else. So a lot is up in the air and depends on what the sort of progressive coalition within Congress is able to sort of push push and, and kind of advance, I think. Right, right. So it's interesting because despite all their virtue signaling against white supremacy, um, I mean, surprise, surprise, they're also interested in using increasing surveillance um, power, right? Like we yeah. saw with Obama and, yeah. Right. And I mean, these things are difficult to talk about because, I mean, um, you know, I think that if any sort of consideration of, of the historical approach, they have gone after far-right groups in the past. I'm not saying they haven't, but um, it, it seems to be easier to go after far-left groups. And so, uh, right. you know, when you take the gloves off in that fashion, that's something that I hope the public debate is able to consider. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about um, the, the uh, Gretchen Whitmer militia. Mm -hmm. And and what they are politically, like you pointed out, um, there's a, a lot of discussion about um, 
terrorism, white supremacy, and all of these things are present, um, and in the, but not always present. Like there are some people who are just um, anti-government, and I feel like I'm whitewashed, right. downplaying it or downplaying white supremacy, which I'm not. It's just that we have to look at what really is motivating, and obviously they're having nooses ar- around, which they did. Um, the people who conspired to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. Um, that's a a problematic trope, and she's Jewish. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of discourse from this these groups that is particularly racist or anti-Semitic, which, again, I'm not giving them like a pass on any level. I'm just curious what we know about them. Yeah, a lot of the reporting around this has been sloppy. I agree with you. There's, again, the Maximus position of, you know, these guys did a terrible thing. Therefore, um, they are this, that and the other horrible thing. <laughs> it's not downplaying right. it just to say there are a specific type of bad, right. specific type of extremism. As far as we know, and another thing I'd stress is that with a lot of these groups, they do not have the most coherent ideology. People tend yeah. to think of these things as, you know, being very thought through. That very often is not the case. I'm not saying yeah. that there aren't, you know, um, very ideologically driven uh, neo-Nazis, for instance, or yeah. um, whatever else. Uh, but that certainly exists. But there's also just a lot of just, um, uh, you know, it seems like these sort of people that are wandering through these various stages of ideologies and, and they change views on things. And so, so I would agree with you. I've seen more in the, in the, in this operation. So what's interesting about this operation to me and is a sort of a continuation of our last conversation, Katie, was the, um, the fact that it was coordinated, a lot of the terrorism, a lot of the sort of, uh, you know, mass shootings, that kind of thing in the United States, are carried out by what's called lone gunmen, you know, an individual snaps right. under a lot of, you know, psychic pressure or um, whatever it may be. That's a very different character. And I think, um, you know, obviously scary, but um, that is a sort of more uh, primitive, less developed, less thought out kind of thing than what we're seeing now with, with groups like this and, and the individual you mentioned before, um, it, 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 Carrillo, uh, it was reported that he had driven around in a van along with another member of the Boogaloo Boys group and it appears, I mean, I'm only going off of what's publicly available. Uh, you know, they haven't uh, uh, been tried in court yet. So I'll, you know, yeah. just point out that this is all alleged, alleged. by the Justice yeah. Department. Yeah. But, um, you know, that they worked together. They put a machine gun together, had a silencer, and they specifically targeted. The, the amount of thick thought that went into this stuff is not characteristic of what you usually see of these sort of mass shootings. And that's what's concerning to me. Not necessarily the specific, because there's no shortage of white nationalists. There's no shortage of you know, anti-government extremists who, you know, want to commit insurrection or something like that. But they differ a lot. What's really concerning here is the, um, I'll give you a few examples. So there were signs of tradecraft. There were signs of what's called operational security, where um, they removed cell phones from the room where they were discussing it. Um, That might sound obvious to people on the left that know what the, you know, intelligence services do and what they're able to do. But a lot of people don't know those things. That's, I mean, that's not, very often when you see these lone shooters, even something people they call ISIS, that I think if you look into it, there's a lot of mental health stuff going on that that uh, may be more explanatory um, than ISIS? you know. Uh, Sorry, ISIS, you're saying ISIS, with ISIS? ISIS. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Certain examples, and you look right. at it, and they didn't plan any of this stuff through. You know, they didn't uh, they didn't use encrypted apps. They didn't do those kind of things. So that's an indication that they're they they have more um, sort of technical skills around these things. Another one is that they discussed it for a long time, multiple people. It's much harder to carry something out in the context of a group, and that's why they got caught because they had been penetrated by a. Um, uh, confidential informant, uh, right. a couple of them, I, I think, if I remember the uh, complaint right. Um, but so uh, that's well, I think really we're freaked con- out about going after law enforcement. Apparently, I think I heard that on Democracy Now. I should right. that, but I think that's what scared them. That that's what I that's oh, what yeah, I heard absolutely. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And the, the, the mood within the intelligence community after those shootings in, in California with the Boogaloo boys that I mentioned, it was night and day. I mean, I'm not saying that folks in the intel community and law enforcement weren't worried about this stuff before. It would be, you know, I, you can be plenty critical of law enforcement, but it's just it's just not accurate, at least judging from the people that I talked to, to say that there was no concern about those kind of things. There was. It's just that, you know, rank and file people who have, you know, um, sort of feelings about how the job ought to be done, they're not always listened to by the leadership, you know, uh, the leadership, right. I think, probably cares a lot less about those sorts of things. Yeah. In any case, after that happened, you saw a lot more sympathy uh, it, within these agencies and within their leadership saying, oh my God, they killed, uh, I think it was two police officers and injured several others. It's time to get down to business. And that's really when you see um, not necessarily resources getting moved around, but finally starting to issue intelligence reports, some of which I've reported on, um, you know, looking at these, looking at these different groups. So it's still inadequate, but it, there, there is a change and, I, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I'm not one of these types that's like, oh, the law enforcement intelligence services, they're do, everything they do is great and patriotic. Yeah, you right. know, we should be skeptical. I'm just saying, if they're worried about it now, that's a red flag for how serious things are getting. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think, I mean, it, it is hard to talk about this because, as you said, the maximalist language. But, I mean, I they expect and they're anticipating more violence around Election Day. Um, and we right. can get, uh, what do you know about, what have your, what has your research revealed around that? Yeah, well, um, intelligence and analysis actually put out an intelligence product. That's uh, what they call these assessments that they do, uh, finding that the greatest potential for violence is going to be the period, not just the election, but up to inauguration, which suggests, and it's very interesting for them to put out something like this, because they won't tell you this <laughs> publicly. But the reality is they're very politically conscious about what they're talking about. They don't want to put something out that is going to get them called into the office and say, hey, this is going to embarrass Trump. if it co- I'm, I'm sorry, they won't tell you that on TV. You know, yeah. They're not going to tell you that in the Comey. TV show, but the reality is they think about that. And I don't even really fault them. Like, you know, I don't want to get fired from my job. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. If I was in that position, I'd probably be worried about that stuff too. But in any case, they put that report out. And again, like I was saying before, that doesn't mean that this is the word of God. It means that um, what's interesting about it is it's really hard to put out a product that mentions anything political because you don't want to invoke the ire of right. either, you know, people in Congress or the sitting administration, you know? So what this intelligence product um, warned about was people not accepting the legitimacy of the outcome, just standard stuff that we would expect. Uh, you know, I'll be frank, I don't think it was very shocking. But what was surprising was that the intelligence agencies, who their leadership was picked by the Trump administration, they're currently in Congress getting subpoenaed, literally, because they're politicized, this division, the intelligence part, aspects of um, Homeland Security, specifically with respect to white supremacy. Um, there's a lot of focus on the Russia angle of it, but that wasn't the only part of it that's said to have been politicized. There's also um, reporting on white supremacist violence, reporting on um, immigration stuff. Apparently, they were told to cook their intelligence on the threat posed by uh, undocumented immigrants. So there's a lot more than is necessarily focused on by cable TV, for instance. But um, with all of that kind of as the backdrop, it's incredible that they put out this report and it was leaked to me. Leaks don't happen totally on accident. I'd like right. to think I'm good at getting stuff, but right. um, there's, yeah. there's got to be some you know, motive, motive to do it. And I think they're trying to signal to the rest of the intelligence agencies, like, guys, we need to, we really need to pay attention to this. And lest anyone not know, uh, you know, think that Ken is being naive or doesn't question intelligence sources or narratives, you do. You're, I mean, as you said, you're having a nuanced view on this, but it's not like you buy hook, line, and sink or anything that uh, the intelligence community leaks. Right. uh, Like the New York Times and yeah. I appreciate that. There's a lot of the discourse around the left. Again, I'm sympathetic to it when people say like, oh, it's the FBI. That means there was nothing to it. Um, I'm not saying that this militia group, we should absolutely question 
the Justice Department's account. And, you know, as the trial goes on, look at and make sure that they weren't uh, pushed into saying things that they weren't serious about. Um, all that being said, the reality, I mean, I know the analysts and the guys in these agencies that do yeah. these things. It's a lot harder to do this kind of thing to a right-wing group that, frankly, a lot of their rhetoric is redolent of stuff you'd see online or see on Fox or, or right. see on Breitbart. It's not easy to entrap. I mean, they have, you know, white, white right-wing people, uh, if, you know, they're going to have certain privileges that, uh, you know, a Muslim woman who right. might get entrapped or a disabled, you know, person, it's just a difference. It's harder to do, you know, right. again, I'm, I'm not saying that that means don't question the FBI. Right. It's just like, these are different. you got to consider the, the, um, uh, uh, the details of, of right. what the situation yeah. is, you know. And it's not like the Russiagate narrative where everything is kind of fit into it and the facts don't line up and the New York Times and most liberal media, MSNBC, just picks up on it without even questioning it. I mean, we saw that with Bounty Gate, right? Like there's been no correcting of that story um, to the extent that like Kamala Kamala Harris uh, brought it up in the debate and no one was like, oh, that thing isn't true. Yeah, it's a very it's a very fraught situation because there's a lot um, of like rhetoric that the far right does that is obviously tongue in cheek or trying to like trigger liberals, that kind of thing. And they're maybe not, you know, literal about it, or maybe they don't mean it, but in some cases they do. And it's hard to know which yeah. is which, I yeah. mean, um, you know, you guys are on Twitter, you see, uh, there are memes that threaten to do the kind of stuff that sometimes happens. And, uh, you know, like <laughs> if you weren't online, I wonder if people don't understand how prevalent, like, uh, you know, you can go on right wing, right wing Facebook pages that have things like Black Lives Splatter, and now there are actually people yeah. driving into protesters right. and things. So, I mean, it right. would be a mistake, first of all, to just take all of it literally, but then also to just say that it's all dismiss famous. it. Like, yeah, sometimes it happens too. You know? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, discourse matters. Um, I think another thing that well, I'll wait till we bring in our next guest because I want to actually talk about that with him. But um, I'm really excited to have you and our next guest overlap because I think you guys have very um, There'll be it'll be a symbiotic conversation. Um, so um, without any further ado, um, Stephen Reisner, who is the host of the Madness podcast and also um, a psychoanalyst and also helped uh, stop torture uh, among uh, doctors and uh, with physicians for human rights. And we can talk more about that after. But um, Stephen, just first off, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for well, coming on. Thank you. It's, it's very nice to be here. Um, do you have anything, I mean, how, what are you thinking about in terms of what Ken Klippenstein just said? Um, I have questions for you, but did anything, is there anything that you found, um, thought provoking? Well, it's all thought provoking, comment provoking. Well, yeah, I, um, I'm particularly interested in the, in the question of, um, internal divisions in the FBI and who may be whistleblowing and uh, who may consider that a betrayal, particularly because Bill Barr claimed that he knew nothing about this particular investigation. And I'm wondering what you think, Ken, is that because it was kept from Bill Barr because uh, of concerns about what response might or might not happen? Or was Bill Barr not being truthful, what are the possibilities here that, that, that you see? 
I think that what you're focusing on here is exactly like that's been the crux of my reporting last year. And that's what I think is the great untold story of the Trump administration is the civil war taking place within these agencies, um, because we often think of them as monolithic and particularly folks on the left. They'll say, you know, the intelligence community, the CIA. And, you know, again, that's great. Be skeptical of them. However, there are internal divisions within them and there is a range of different attitudes. I'm not saying that they're necessarily, you know, democratic socialists in all these agencies, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're not all MAGA and they're not all just, you know, they don't all agree on things. And there's, uh, it, you know, and it's not, power is not concentrated in just the directorship. Um, right. And very often, uh, as I kind of alluded to before, the rank and file are at loggerheads with the leadership because the rank and file, they have different incentives. Their incentives are more, you know, um, they're not, they don't make a huge amount of money when they retire. <laughs> They don't necessarily get these um, uh, sinecures at, at, at these private contractors and things in the same way that the what's called the senior executive staff um, get. And so because of that, they tend to care a little more about what the actual mission of the agency is, good or bad. Um, and, and that's just a different set of incentives than the leadership has. So these guys have really been in conflict and it cuts more than like left versus right. It's more like um, believing in the agency's like actual mission as opposed to what it's been hijacked to do. And again, we can be critical of that agency mission, but I think that um, reasonable people would agree that the agency mission is going to be um, a little more rational than, than, for instance, taking Border Patrol and sending them to Portland for a photo op, as, as people in Border Patrol have described to me, saying uh, that they feel as though they're part of a big Trump election commercial. And many of them are conservatives and don't like Democrats, and they're still saying that. So um, to answer your question, um, is it true or not that Barr knew about that? I don't have insight in that specific thing. At that level, things are kept very compartmented. They use classification to um, hide things a lot. I'll give you an example. During the Bush administration, um, it's now well known, it was reported by people like James Risen and others, that uh, during the torture program, they actually had Bush leave the room anytime that they were briefed on it so that he would have deniability. Wow. Obviously, he knew what he had to have known what was going on because they're just like, uh, Mr. President, you might want to leave because of that thing. And I imagine he knows what that thing is, you know. Um, but, um, you know, they, they go to great lengths in order to, um, uh, you know, obtain for themselves plausible deniability in the event that something comes out. So I don't think it's impossible that they could have either uh, kept it from him, knowing that it was going to get killed. I mean, I have stories. Uh, I know a guy in the intelligence analysis division of Homeland Security was telling me um, when Trump came in, instead of tracking a lot of these you know extremist groups uh as i said before the far-right groups never got very much attention to begin with but um at least it was like actual terror affiliates like al-qaeda or isis that kind of thing um they got a lot much of the division got turned after after the domestic extremism branch was dissolved they got turned to focusing on like students overstaying visas like like uh travel visas and everyone thought this was insane because again you know, even if you're a Republican, it's like, that's not why I'm in the intelligence service is to like worry about some kid staying here a week over his over his visa. This is ludicrous. <laughs> but that's how bad it's gotten. And that's, I think, why you're starting to see some of this um, conflict within these agencies. And, and finally, it's becoming impossible for the media to ignore. Media never covers the fight between the rank and file leadership because the dirty secret of The New York Times and a lot of these big papers is that they go straight to the leadership because they're going to these cocktail parties with the White House and whoever else it is. And a lot of the guys at the top. And uh, frankly, I have guys rank and file who tell me you know have a lot of access and know a lot of things. And I say, well, I can't be the first person to reach out to you, right? And they're like, oh no, I've reached out to the Times before. They didn't have time for me. They they're like, how senior are you? And it's like, well, I'm not a political appointee. And they're like, oh, see ya. And they're not interested. So it's wow. like we only get the picture from the leadership, and that's only a specific type. And I would submit a, a kind of um, you know um, more, more harrowing <laughs> uh, uh, picture of what these agencies do. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, 
What about the, the I, I first thought, um, Stephen, I thought you were going to ask about the divisions among these kind of uh, anti-government groups. I was thinking like, we really got to play them up. Like that's a good, we got to do the divide and conquer thing like that the left always does, you know, the circular firing squad on the left. We got to make sure that these anti-government groups, we got to like plant a lot of um, internal divisions. <laughs> so we got to heighten the contradictions and be like, guys, do you know that this person thinks that Gretchen um, Whitmer is um, the devil? That's just <laughs> irrational. And then be like to the other ones, uh, do you know that they just think she's a human who's bad? Like that's kind of low key. Like right. why are you we aligning kind of yourself? Get in with there them? and se separate yeah. people. You think this person? Uh, this person actually doesn't believe that there's like a pedophile conspiracy, right? Yeah, uh, among right. all elected Democrats, right? You sort if you of really dictate, work with them. Yeah, get well, those divisions going. Yeah, go but, go big or the, go home. Yeah. But the problem is that uh, it seems, and the way Ken described it, that there isn't a very clear, specific academic ideology in. Um, among these right-wing right groups, but there is intensely academic and specific ideology on the left where the smallest differences right. um, make for huge internal battles. Right. Um, you know, Freud called it the narcissism of minor differences. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to claim your ground when you've been so articulated your political position. The right doesn't seem to have that problem. You know, they get energized they get excited and they will join together and their guns will point in the in the same direction that's right. what's so scary we should infiltrate those groups and teach them how up things about like affinity groups and um uh what is it consensus and uh how <laughs> uh, things robert's are rules of order yeah yeah, yeah. and, and problematic should, should things them and... with robert rule robert rules of order and then yeah it'll just get into a mess in no yeah, time exactly and like talk make sure that they're like checking their privilege um <laughs> and then i think we could really we could do a lot of damage um yes. and and so uh ken and excuse me uh steven i was wondering if you guys could share from your different perspectives and backgrounds, like what you think is the the thing that's responsible for um, what we're seeing and um, what you think maybe the, the solution is? Really easy questions. And when I say what we're seeing, I mean the kind of right-wing um, anti-government violence. And then of course there is the, the, um, the Proud Boys, the uh, white supremacist, Patriot Prayer, Boogaloo, boo, boogaloo boys um maybe actually before we do that ken could you do like a little like lightning round of what the different groups are oh gosh okay so um the boogaloo boys uh it, it the term boogaloo it's so funny because it's like a pretty scary group that kill people but it's like hard yeah. to take seriously with a name like that. i know it sounds like a children's play like a like a monster from a children's book or something <laughs> yeah but, um the, the boogaloo it refers to um the covering the coming civil war that they anticipate will uh either, that they either anticipate will happen or um, they not just anticipate it'll happen, but they want to bring it about. And so there's an, what's called an accelerationist strain within them. Um, I, you know, I'm getting into social sciences, so I'm sketching this stuff out for you. This is not going to be, you know, this is physics. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to you know, give people the impression that all of this is like, uh, sure. you know, <laughs> written on the tablets of Mount Sinai or anything. Right. But, yeah. Um, generally speaking, yeah, they tend to be ferociously anti-government. Um, but again, that's sort of incoherent. <laughs> because um, their way that the way in which they perceive government, like if you look at the um, uh, chat logs or the uh, stuff that was released from the Justice Department about these guys that were, you know, allegedly trying to kidnap the governor of Michigan, they described how they were going to take her out and then, um, you know, 
then it'd be over. Freedom would reign. And they clearly they haven't they don't have a whole lot of literacy about how government works right. and chains of succession and things like that. If they think that it's just done once once they carry out this this alleged plot. Um, but so, yeah, the, the Boogaloo boys, they anticipate the Civil War coming. Um, there are ones that um, think it has a racial and ethnic character to it, sort of like the American Civil War. Um, there are other ones that don't that are just like really, um, you know, anti-government. And there are actually non-white people that are parts of the group. That's not to say that all of the group is like not white supremacist. It's just, a, you know, very complicated mix. But generally speaking, yeah, um, I would say that the unifying um, idea is this civil war we've got to prep for it so there's a lot of this prepper culture with weapons and, and things of that uh, nature um, and then uh, also uh, kind of trying to end up on um, the side of it that's going to be in power you know yeah um, so so yeah a brief snapshot that's what I would say the, the boogaloos are yeah and then patriot prayer and um, proud boys and then uh, militias I mean don't you don't have to define militias but can you give us a patriot prayer and proud boys uh Oh, and three percenters. Yeah. You can da- uh, You don't have to do all of them. Proud Boys are much more um, ethno-nationalist, I think. Um, you know, Gavin McGinnis being the founder, um, he was... Uh, Vice. He was, yeah, he was a co-founder of Vice. It's so crazy. And it kind of makes sense in a way because these guys that know how to navigate media are going right. to be the ones mm-hmm. that can whip up this kind of hysteria. That's what I think we really learned with Trump, which we had a bunch of warnings about. I mean, you know, you've got Rob Ford and his antics in Canada prior to that. All right. You have going yeah. back... Yeah, I grew up in California. It was like um, when Arnold Schwarzenegger won, that should have been a big one. That was like the prototype election for like 2016. Like we should have looked back on that election and been like, oh, it's going to be porn stars and TV people running forever now. That was the prototype election. 100%. Oh, right. Yeah, you get both of those. Yeah, yeah. I think it uniquely disadvantages the left too because um, sort of like you guys are saying, there's there's some uh, not just um, philosophical – coherency uh you know on, on on the left but also like a requirement for like material uh concessions that doesn't exist on the right and also there's a big technocratic liberal um component to the left that is never going to allow a um you know reality show star to to run just because they think it's sort of like improper right. or yes. yeah. not 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 completely unreasonably but like um, oh, yeah. You know, I think this will always redound to the right. And that's the lesson that we've had hammered home for over a decade now. And it seems like right. it took Trump for people to kind of accept this. You know, a lot of these groups, there's also um, how do you say there's a lot of uh, it's kind of like cells exchanging DNA with each other. Right. Like um, there's people pass through these things a lot. And, right. But you, you might be surprised how how um, people throw on these identities like it's like a hat or something. Right. And, you know, it's sort of um, scary, but it's also sort of um hopeful in my view because i think it shows that you can de-radicalize people can change their minds about right it's not like you're necessarily an extremist for life and it's in your bones or anything right yeah yeah and steven what do you have uh to say about that well it it seems to me that we are we've got an administration that is promoting a kind of paranoid culture which contextualizes some of the extreme uh, the desire for extreme views and for blaming the external world for the bad experiences, insecurities, uh, uh, um, betrayals that a lot of the, the members of these groups feel. And, you know, it, it seems to me that it's sort of a paranoid personality style, a style of people who uh, uh, look to blame 
uh, others for the circumstances that they find themselves in. And the worse those circumstances are, the more they need to blame somebody. And when you are handed uh, a commander-in-chief, a president of the United States, who gives you justification, rationale, and uh, validation, then you get stronger. And when you act and add to that the stresses of the last few years, the economic stresses, the, the social stresses of COVID, and the terrors that are, I think, affecting everybody from the climate emergency and the and the increasingly di increasing difficulty these people have in denying the climate emergency, so they have to work harder to maintain this this uh, view, this vision of why they're under such threat, and they have to elevate uh, where the threat is coming from. So I think we do have a kind of a co uh, uh, coalescence of of radical extremes, especially on the right, under the tone and the mode and the and the constant egging on that they get from from the White House. Um, so, yes, I think that if the economy were better and we had leadership that was actually making people's lives better, there would be less uh, less danger coming from these groups. They would just be what they were before Trump, which was dangerous, but not having the platform that they have and not having the integration or the, you know, egging each other on or uh, that they have. And uh, so I, how do we stop them, I think is one question. And I don't think that, I think that the, that I'm glad to hear that there's so much division within yeah. the uh, the intelligence groups, between the, the FBI and Homeland Security, because there are people who actually want to stop them. And it, it takes a long time for uh, to put purely uh, political appointees in every level of the intelligence agency. So that will, so hopefully we will still have a strong enough uh group of uh, of uh, of career professionals who are whistleblowing um however i i think that there's also this big question i'm very interested in what you think about this ken that um there are elements in this administration that that might well be waiting to capitalize on some violence coming from the extreme, the, you know, the right-wing extremists, um, to uh, to um, disrupt the election process and the post-election process. It's not just that we should be worried about violence coming from these extremist groups between the election and the inauguration, but my sense is that the goal, the goal of all terrorist groups, is to provoke a huge reaction that right. then, you know, galvanizes their sympathizers. And yeah, then, it's interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because the vice president actually mentioned that Boogaloo shooting that we were talking about before that took place in Northern California earlier this year in which that killed two law enforcement officers, uh, injured several others. And what's interesting in it, he, he, he used that example to say that, you know, we really need to be worried about what's happening in the country, Antifa's taking over. And he actually, if I remember, he attributed it to Antifa and he just mischaracterized like what exactly it was that happened. So I think you're right. There is this kind of 
um, looseness with this stuff that's just supposed to signal to people everything's falling apart, better trust me, you know, this strong man is going to protect you, that kind of thing. And I, I do think that the reporting has to be very careful, and I've, I've tried to be careful not to get the idea across that people should be, you know, staying home necessarily from voting or, or think that. Because, again, you know, this stuff is accelerating. It's getting much worse. Um, that being said, it's still fringe. It's This isn't exactly, you know, and, and, and I don't want to give the impression, whatever you think of President Trump, you know, most of his supporters are not <laughs> going to grab a gun and shoot somebody at this, at least at this point in time. Um, so, you know, you don't want people to um, devolve into hysterics and, and there's bad incentives for media to, you know, play up, um, uh, you know, dangers posed by whatever it is, whether it's 9-11 or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but you're, you're right. There probably is some incentive for the administration to just say, look at this generalized unrest. Um, all that being said, I, the impression I've got, at least from the opinion polls I've seen, is that people do seem to correspond, people do seem to associate the Trump administration with a lot of these violent attacks to some extent. And they do tend to associate him with just like the instability and the chaos that's happening. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's helping them on the net. Like I'm sure they're trying to play it to whatever extent they can. Um, but uh, I mean, I think that um, when you have a you know figure like Biden who doesn't really embody a lot of the policies that are um, you know really galvanizing to the Democratic base, um, the way he sort of pitched himself, and I think successfully, is that you know I'm going to prevent a lot of those worst kind of uh, chaotic uh, craziness from going on, and people and, pe and that seems to be people seem to consider that convincing, and I don't think um, entirely unreasonably because of the way that the administration has handled these things, not just the Boogaloo case that I mentioned, but you know um, you have the president saying there are good people on both sides of the Charlottesville thing. We've all heard that. Mm -hmm. I mean, people notice the wink and the nod. Um, and, and, you know, they're not, I don't think they're, <laughs> people are not, people are not stupid in this particular respect. So they're going to try to play it as best they can to their own interests. And I think you're right. They, they're anything they can do to, um, you know, the GOP is not quiet about the fact that, um, uh, their electoral strategy is to suppress votes. And, and one way that you can do that is to say that there's, you know, the threat of violence, that kind of thing. So yeah. totally agree with that. But, um, I do think it's hurt him on the, I do think it's hurt the administration on, on the net. Yeah. And just so people know, by the way, because we haven't really uh, talked to Steve one-on-one, uh, -on -one, but Stephen is not someone who thinks that the Democrats are heroes and the Republicans are bad. And once we get rid of Trump, it's going to be all good. He was a Bernie person. Um, and also uh, one of the lines that I love from your, uh, I believe your psychosis episode on your podcast, Mad uh, the Madness podcast, was about the, the kind of like I, I'm looking for uh, something about the banging on pots and pans. Um, and ha you basically say that Democrats also don't care about black and brown lives. Uh, it's not just Republicans. So I just want to give that context so people don't think we have like a, um, a mic resistance person. <laughs> not that they would, not that anything you said indicates that. But yeah, sometimes well, my, my viewers get well, a little paranoid. Speaking of paranoia. <laughs> given given that, I, I was just wondering because about, you know, can you you do sound like an optimist that the voting is going to determine uh, what happens to our democracy, um, uh, you know, through the end of this year, that we actually that 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 the issue is how it affects the election, because I worry um, about how the, the, this issue, the issue of the extremists, um, will justify, uh, 
undermining the election, not just uh, suppressing the votes, but confiscating ballots or calling a national emergency of some sort or another or making it impossible to assess um, uh, assess realistically some of the votes, uh, a, a significant number of the votes. I just see, I just worry about this being one of the trigger points. There are a number of possibilities that uh, I think that Trump and Barr uh, have been alluding to uh, more or less directly, but uh, this is one that I'm concerned about. I wonder if you have fears about the the, the election process being uh, undermined in a significant way, and whether you know what that might do in terms of both the intelligence agencies and the uh, right wing, whether that will coalesce the right wing uh, terrorist groups. Um, I've seen some evidence to suggest that um, the more you can kind of convince people that the vote will be illegitimate, the less likely they are to turn out. And I've seen some speculation doesn't seem irrational that that's part of what Trump is doing when he says, uh, you know, like, oh, I'll only recognize it if I win. Because the idea is that that will sort of dispirit people and make some people not turn out. Um, all that being said, I, I wonder, I, I feel like this becomes a little academic unless the polls tighten in the swing states that exist, because we're sort of saved by the fact that um, in terms of avoiding a, a legitimacy crisis, that the gap is so broad between a lot of the um, swing states. Um, that being said, like, I don't think anything you said, I mean, are they going to try to play whatever they can to their advantage? Absolutely. But, you know, when we draw these parallels to Bush v. Gore, we essentially have 12 Floridas at this point that they would need to try to, um, you know, swing and uh, a much bigger gap than existed then. So, you know, I don't, I think you're right to, you know, be concerned about that and that they will try, but, and there are variables we don't know anything about. For instance, um, when you have all these mail-in ballots, what effect will that have for uh, Democrats relying on that versus Republicans that might actually vote traditionally, knowing that the error rate for mail-in ballots is higher than in-person voting, that kind of thing? Um, that's a big variable that I don't know the answer to. Maybe maybe that will be bigger than, than people anticipate. But um, at least at this point in time, the Democrats really lucked out in terms of um, not having to confront a lot of these really structural problems they were talking about not just voter disenfranchisement generally, but specific to you know uh, how this administration is trying to uh, would seem to be trying to um, uh, influence um, turnout by just the simple fact that um, the economic calamity is so bad that um, it has made that sort of a referendum on the president. I think more than um, more more than Biden's uh, you know animal charisma or whatever you may think of him. When you said the Democrats lucked out, I was going to say yes. It's not every election that we have a nominee who is so consistent, principled, charismatic, eloquent. You know. It's not because the candidate is good. In fact, like, you know, they've run a very no, bad... I'm jo- you you know, know, I'm joking, right? Completely. Okay, I yeah. know, of course, but I'm just like, we should be clear about, like, this is the easiest election, I think, like, since George Washington, to be honest <laughs> with you. Like, every one of his primary opponents dropped out against him. And then, like, like a pandemic suppressed the vote. And then, honestly, like, I swear to God, like, this big shift in the last minute in, is, like... 
Trump gets COVID related. I swear it is like this guy was saying it was all fake. Uh, the, the seniors right. shifting by 25 points. I'm like, this is all the seniors who agreed that it was fake, like who are now scared because they see that it's not fake. I'm, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Ken. And I'm like, I I was actually very worried about a lot of this procedural bullshit and the the Republicans taking it all the way to the edge as far as like legal stuff. But like. You know, and I felt this way last time, you know, before the last election. But it looks like this guy's going to get his shit kicked so bad that, like, they won't even be able to pull off the stealing. Like, they, like I, I've been saying, like, I'm like, Biden has to win. If Biden wins by two points, he loses. But now it looks like he's just going to win by, like, nine. And then there's no way to steal. When yeah, well, up. I think the key difference nine, here. Nine, 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 um, R.I.P. Herman King. <laughs> people are, you know, people are right to learn from history and look at um, Bush v. Gore and Sorg and everything. But they didn't have the economic calamity. Um, that that appears to uh, correspond so closely with electoral outcomes. Um, you know, obviously the Iraq war was a calamity by any measure. And I wish that that would have the same effect as um, something that hits your pocketbook immediately. But uh, unfortunately, that doesn't appear to be the case. And it doesn't appear the way be the way, the way politics works. I mean, we've got, you know, the unemployment rate right now is just insane. It almost would be crazy for it not the election not to be a referendum um on that but um but um you know that's sort of the big question uh, of what the administration coming in if biden does win and the democrats as they appear poised to do take over the senate as well as the house because um you know then the ball is in their court to kind of address a lot of these problems that we're talking about right now that maybe the democrats lucked out on but are going to be present, you know, indefinitely. I bet they do. I bet they figure them out pretty quickly, pretty expediently. <laughs> That's what I anticipate. I, I anticipate them dealing with it all expediently, and then we never have to worry about this stuff again. I would say there's one difference. Uh, like I share your cynicism or your uh, skepticism. It's not. That's not even cynicism. That's just you know how it's worked in the past. That's how the Obama administration did it. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but one difference is that there is a the same way that there's a civil war within the. Intelligence agencies, I found some of my sources are in Congress, too, because they see a lot of these things. And there is more tension within the party, at least as far as I can tell, than what I remember mm. during the Bush administration or during the Obama administration. And um, Biden's shambolic just demeanor generally and his policies as well um, do not lend themselves to this kind of easy sort of like, uh, you know, um, consensus that Obama was able to enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, so so I do think there's more of a question mark about uh, which which side will win out. Uh, now than there than there has been in the past. That's a hopeful. That's a hopeful view. Look at that. Look at that with a hopeful view. <laughs> Cautiously yeah. optimistic, as you tweeted today, I believe. Oh, I was I was joking. I just like I that love their language. Cautiously yeah. optimistic. That's what yeah. politicians say when they know the worst is going to happen. Right. They don't want to scare the markets, so they're like, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, and then any so Ken has to leave and we're going to then have a um, get to talk more with Steve, which we're very grateful for. Um, if anyone has any questions, we have time, especially if you super chat. I'll see those first. Just the way it works. Yeah, I, I am beholden to my donors. Um, <laughs> but write some questions for um, Ken before uh, he signs off. And um, yeah, anything else that you want to make sure uh, to mention, Ken, anything you're working on? You want to plug anything? Uh you know. Yeah, I would just say uh, if you're a Fed, hit me up on Signal. My number is 202-510-1268. Uh, you guys laugh, but there are you know there are people no. in the community that do listen to shows like this. You'd be surprised. So yeah, they're probably they think they're gonna have to arrest me. And not even no, I'm sorry, I don't want to freak you guys out. Not like no, that. No, no, no. Like, I'm kidding. There's a there's a cleft. I mean, uh, a lot of younger people are just feel so left out by this 
economic system is so not represented. Left out. Right. <laughs> that that uh, you know, it's you'd be surprised. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot, but there are some. So say that again to give out your number again so that and, and, yeah. and of course people uh, can signal. slide into your DMs, right? Yeah, hit me on signal. It's a safer way because it's encrypted. Um, my number is 202-510-1268. Just look up the signal app in the uh, app store. It's a free app. Yeah, great. And um, it's Q for Kenny Clips. If Trump refuses to accept election law, SCOTUS rejects him, then militia terrorist mobs commit violence everywhere, then what? I mean, Trump is obviously, you know, winking at these groups. And, you know, if you look at I had a story recently where I got an intelligence product from um, I think it was disseminated in Texas uh, where they is it, for, is uh, it for wrinkles, this product, this intelligence product? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, oil of Olay intelligence. Yeah. They um, they were, were, you know, they kind of gingerly said that the elections rhetoric and they didn't name Trump, obviously, but they kind of right. related to that, uh, you know, may have an effect. Um, so, you know, all that's true, and this is worse than it's been, at least as, as far as I'm aware, um, in, in the U.S. Um, but, but again, just there being a referendum on the economic calamity that we have now, that, that I, I wonder if that's just going to eclipse. Um, the, and, and, you know, let's be real, like, uh, you know, these groups are doing things, but it's still, I would still characterize it as, uh, it, this is still in relatively nascent uh, uh, phase for, for, I mean, you're not seeing this you're not seeing these groups sort of becoming local chapters and having, you know, it's increasing the organization, but that organization is still limited is what I'm, is right. what I'm trying to say. So yeah. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't get the impression from people that, that um, the violence would have a sort of effect of, of tipping and, and, and changing the electoral outcome so much as just uh, human concerns about people that could be hurt. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I feel really conflicted about this because I think there's been so much anti-Trump hysteria, not to say it's inappropriate to be anti-Trump, but this maximalist language distracts from a lot of structural issues right. and plays into his hands. But I also, I mean, I don't, I don't know what, what's going to happen. Uh, I guess we never know what's going to happen. And, um, What's really interesting, by the way, is people keep up bringing up Timothy McVeigh. But, you know, Timothy McVeigh was very shaped by fighting in the, the good Iraq war. Um, yeah, these are the sorts of contexts that are not uh, easy yeah. discussion for right. cable news. Because right. um, it tells a different side of the story of, of war that, that uh, you know, that it's just <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, Timothy McVeigh, obviously a monster. Uh, but if you're if what you're concerned about is, you know, stopping this sort of radicalization, you consider exactly. some of the conditions that, that lead to it. Right. That's one of the most frustrating things for me is the conflation of kind of like understanding diagnosis. Um, I don't mean that in a literal way, diagnosis, but right, right. diagnosis with justification and catering to that's like that's not how it works. If you want to right. stop something, you have to look at what the causes are, and that's separate from a moral issue, except the moral issue of it is that you should be committed to stopping it. But it's not, you're not, you're not sanitizing right. a person. Well, I or, can show yeah. you, you know, I've gotten intelligence reports that they themselves, this is the FBI, for instance, uh, says, you know, economic conditions. I have one intelligence report on uh, situation in Puerto Rico. They have uh, counterterror concerns there. And when they talk about it, it almost sounds like a leftist is saying it because they're like, well, the debt situation causes people to yeah. feel as though they don't have a sovereign, you know, representation in, in their government, which is like, that sounds not untrue, <laughs> you know? And so it's like the intelligence agencies, they understand these things. It's, it's when you, it's when you get in these sort of, uh, you know, cable news, uh, uh, way of addressing it, that suddenly you're not allowed to talk about all sorts of different uh, right. uh, components. Or leftist Twitter in a weird way too. Liberal Twitter, liberal Twitter. I don't know. There's a there's a weird thing that happens there. And it's also like 
it's so weird when people mock the economic anxiety argument angle. It's like you most people, there's consensus around the fact that economic issues in Weimar Germany contributed to the Holocaust. And that's not like it's not like if you say that you're saying that Nazi, that individual Nazi was a great guy or the Nazis were great guys. But that's almost how people frame it. when they respond to you're bringing up that yeah these facts reminds me too it's sort of like you know people understand that uh if we talk about misogyny that this is something that doesn't just you know hurt women it also hurts men in a lot of different ways right uh it it, you know because then they're locked into this crazy ideology of uh so like it's more like it creates an atmosphere societal atmosphere that is just a sort of miasma that everyone's walking through rather than it's like specifically like this guy didn't have money in it. Like, you know, when, when we have the inequality that we do, that just creates it. it I, w- I would think that's going to give rise to, you know, anxiety and paranoia right. and, and um, fear about, you know, different groups and things like that. So this, things are con- uh, connected in, in, in much more of a way than, than I think a lot of the discourse um, uh, uh, gives, gives, gives credit, you know? Yeah. And then before you leave, um, and then I, we'll, we'll talk about that more with you, Stephen, for sure. I just want to give Ken a, a chance to uh, respond to this comment. Seen absolutely no discussion on the extrajudicial murder by U.S. Marshal of a citizen who received no due process thanks to Vice interview. Um, Do you know I don't know that it was thanks to the Vice interview, um, although that may have played a role. I actually looked into this because I know people in justice, in the Justice Department, which is who the marshals work for, and I was trying to find out. And um, they've got a lot of spooky stuff going on there with the Justice Department, um, not just Homeland Security. Homeland Security is easy to kick around because it's such a nakedly um, partisan organization. Uh, Stephen brought up a good point when he was talking about, um, you know, not everyone is, is uh, political appointees. What's interesting about Homeland Security is that it has the highest proportion of political appointees of any of the law enforcement or intelligence agencies. And it was designed as such um, after 9-11 to make it more responsive to the White House and to the president and to the commander in chief. I think that was a big mistake. I think a lot of people even in DHS will tell you that it was a big mistake because you end up having, for instance, the ICE and Border Patrol unions endorse Trump, which again, I'm not trying to um, uh, romanticize the FBI, but they didn't do that. No, it's just right. a less politicized agency, you know, and, and better, I think, for it. Um, so. Um, when I looked into the uh, case of the marshals, um, what I was told is that there is a culture there that is sort of similar to the special operations groups that we see operating uh, overseas, where um, it's a kind of macho and uh, uh, kind of, um, I don't know how to say it, like fast and loose. They shoot first, ask questions later, is what right. was described to me by an intelligence officer who just worked with these guys. Um, and, and, and in a case like this, you're really, you know, uh, that raised a lot of questions like, um, uh, you know, there are eyewitnesses that claimed he wasn't um, armed. Uh, the guy, you know, tweeted that he was Antifa. Was there some kind of political dimension to this? I wasn't able to find that out because this stuff is kept so close to the chest. And, um, you know, it involved a small task force of people is my understanding. But um, they've certainly done, you know, spooky stuff in terms of, um, you know, monitoring protesters' phones and things, which seems very politically motivated from my understanding i've reported on that a little bit so i don't think it's wrong to ask these questions but i just i was not able to find out um what exactly happened there um but but yeah that's a very i think that's a very important question i wish congress would investigate it but uh, that's not the congress we have right yeah okay well thank ken thank you so much um thank you so much for your time and uh everyone call ken i mean signal ken and uh yeah and dm him okay really nice being with you guys yeah bye bye Great interview, right?
Thank you so much for listening to The Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review The Katie Helper Show. Please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. The Patreon-only episode, which drops shortly, is a longer chat with Dr. Steven Reisner, as well as a chat with Jack, where we talk about things like Harvey Weinstein, Amazon, Twitch versus YouTube, and the elections. Follow Ken Klippenstein at Ken Klippenstein on Twitter. Oh, I forgot to ask him about his uh, Twitter war with um, Elon Musk, which was really great. We'll have to ask him about that next time he's on. You can follow Steven on Twitter at Dr. Reisner. That's D-R-R-E-I-S-N-E-R. You can find out more about the Madness Podcast at madnesspodcast.com. And you should subscribe because it's 